It is time for us to begin our midday program here on the Rural Radio Network. And Scott Foster here with you. Glad to be coming to you today as uh, we have another warm Thursday on the way. But what are you going to do as I'm joined by Susan Littlefield? And uh, you're you're not going to tell me it's going to get any cooler. But at least uh, the crops look pretty good right now as uh, we look at things across our region. Oh, you know, but it is going to get cooler come Sunday. Well, that's true. It is going to it is going to get out of the oppressive and just be hot. So that'll yes. be okay. <laughs> you know, if you get a chance and you're on Twitter, the National Weather Service in Omaha is doing an experiment right now, and they're updating with tweets. They're baking biscuits on the dash of somebody's vehicle. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, I could try that, I guess, sometime. I don't know. It seems kind of messy, but whatever. Go. What do you got for us, Susan? <laughs> Come up here at 1219. We're going to find out it's the angler journey. We'll learn more from Kara Socek. She is wanted to return to her family's operation, but in order to do so, she needed to bring something else to the farm. And that something else happens to be hops and grapes. So we're going to learn more about what she founded in the Hundred Hills Hops and Vines. Then stepping in at 1245, there was a great dairy experience forum that took place in Minnesota, and that will include the likes of CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council and former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, and we'll get that from Chad. And then Shaley Peters steps in at 117. TL Irrigation was in Washington, D.C. this week, and they happen to have a pivot on the uh, White House lawn. So we'll find out more about that from John Tome. Lots happening on the midday from the farm team. It was interesting to see uh, Trump walk around underneath the the uh, irrigation system and ask some questions to the folks at TNL. So, so certainly good publicity for them. Great way for them to be educated. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Turn it over to Brandon Bennett's and uh, the Big Ten Media Days off and running, but. Uh, uh, Huskers, uh, not not quite there yet. Not quite there yet, and we're getting a little bit of a conflicting report because we had heard from a number of media outlets that the Huskers had a hard time getting out of Lincoln mm-hmm. because of the weather, and they were going to be delayed. But then watching the Big Ten channel right now, they're still scheduled for a 1 o'clock Eastern time to hit the podium. So we'll I guess see. we'll see if it's going to be at noon our time or if it's going to be at a different time. But at least for right now, the Big Ten network is saying that uh, Coach Scott Frost will still hit the podium at the aforementioned in time, but then we had heard that that wasn't going to be the case. So I guess we'll, we'll see him when we see him. It'll either be Scott Frost or Lovey Smith, one of the two that'll start things off. Jim Delaney speaking in his last. For his final time mm-hmm. as the commissioner, retiring after a long time, and then uh, we'll have a new commissioner at the Big Ten uh, to talk to with uh, next year. Mm-hmm. But we'll also have Adrian Martinez, and also along with him, seniors Khalil Davis and Muhammad Berry representing the Husker football team at the 2019 Big Ten Football Media Days in Chicago. And we're also going to talk a little bit about other Husker and other former college athletes, about 50,000 of them that will soon be collecting portions of a $208 million class action settlement settled by the NCAA, and I'm sure the law firm will get their share of it, too. I'm sure they will. Bob, what do you got for financials? Stocks are lower on Wall Street as a big miss in subscriber numbers by Netflix pulls down communications companies. Meanwhile, Union Pacific rose 4.5% after the railroad operator reported earnings that were far better than analysts were expecting. And the House has approved uh, moving the federal minimum wage to $15, but it's not expected to go anywhere in the Republican-controlled Senate. All right, very good. That's all coming up on Midday. 
Time for us to take a look at our 880 weather watch as uh, we take a look at weather and see how it's affecting us and for uh, agriculture and around the world. And Paul Perkins joining us and temperatures have uh, really, really gotten up there. You look already, we're looking at heat index uh, near, well, triple digits in Omaha. There. Yes, uh, triple digit heat index readings right now in the eastern part of Nebraska. Most of our temperatures right now already well into the 80s across the area. Many locations already touching 90, uh, such as in 93 at Ogallala. 99 on the actual temperature right now in Holyoke in northeast Colorado. So the temperature is shot up there, but they don't have a heat index re- report because their <laughs> dew point is down to 43. That dry oh, air really warms dry up. Heat. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's so, dry. yeah, the dry air warms up quickly and dry uh, cools off uh, very quickly. So that's kind of a benefit of that. But... Yeah, dew points currently in the low 70s across the area, so we are seeing feeling that humidity, so definitely warming up, but the heat not going to last too long here. Well, that's good, and and there has been at least a little bit of breeze most of the time mm-hmm. to kind of help, so it's not yeah. quite as oppressive. Yeah, if you're sitting in the shade and getting a breeze, you're, it's actually not it's too not bad. It's not too bad. But, but yeah. <laughs> or inside near air conditioning, it's <laughs> there, even better. There you go. <laughs> but a lot of temperatures right in central areas of Nebraska, in, and Kansas into the low and mid-80s. Otherwise, those upper 80s to low 90s in west-central Nebraska, uh, pretty much all of northern Kansas and also eastern Nebraska, up to 91 already towards Wahoo and uh, Omaha. And once again, like we mentioned, 99 at Holyoke already and 93 on the temperature, the actual air temperature in the Ogallala area. You team that up with two points in the upper 60s to low 70s, making it feel pretty humid. Most of us with heat index readings in the upper 80s to low 90s, but on into eastern Nebraska and Kansas, 95 to about 100 is what it feels like across the area. In Omaha, it felt like 90 degrees already as soon as 9 o'clock this morning. Yesterday, Omaha with the heat index reading peaking out at 118. And in the Aurora area in central Nebraska, they kind of had their hottest time of the day from about 6.30 to 8 o'clock last night when the heat index reading was as high as 112. Imagine walking through downtown Omaha on Dodge <laughs> Street when it, at 6 o'clock at night. It had to just be awful. Yeah. awful. yeah, the good old Missouri River, and then, of course, that metro heat, keeping it all locked in there. Excessive heat warning and a heat advisory remain in effect for central, southwest, and eastern Nebraska. And central and eastern Kansas... All the way through tomorrow evening in Nebraska, this area has moved a little bit further to the east. Yesterday, North Platte included in this advisory, but now in Nebraska, the excessive heat and heat advisory includes areas along and east of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, Lexington, and McCook. Kansas, the area is the same as yesterday from Oberlin. It points to the south and east. Right in that area, expecting the heat and humidity to make it feel like it's anywhere from 100 to 113, probably even higher than yesterday because we are experiencing, expecting hotter temperatures for today. That heat-related illness may occur from prolonged exposure to the heat, so make sure you do watch out. The most susceptible are the elderly, very young, and also, of course, pets and livestock. If you're working outside, make sure you do take frequent breaks and drink plenty of water. Today and tomorrow, remaining sunny, hot, and humid with that ridge of high pressure building up from the southern plains. Some thunderstorms are possible as soon as tomorrow night when this high-pressure ridge starts to give way to a cold front. The better thunderstorm chances tomorrow night off to the west and north. The oppressive heat and humidity coming to an end on Saturday with the passage of that cold front. Saturday still slightly warmer than normal as that front moves through during the day. Cooler than normal temperatures behind the front taking hold for Sunday and early next week. 
Thunderstorms will be possible with that front's passage all the way from Saturday through Sunday night. Scattered thunderstorms also possible during the middle of next week when weak disturbances drop southeast. They'll be dropping southeast as we're on the eastern edge of that ridge of high pressure as it pushes off towards the west. In our long-term forecast, Cooler than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Tuesday through the end of the month. So about the last third of the month looking to be cooler than normal for our area. The middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas is likely to be drier than normal for rainfall, but that outlook trends mostly near normal for rainfall late next week through the end of the month. The outlook is out for the months of August, September, and October in Nebraska and Kansas. The temperatures are likely to be mostly seasonal during August, September, and October, and near normal, or once again, near normal on the temperatures for August, September, and October for Nebraska and Kansas, with above normal rainfall. In the latest regional drought monitor that was released today, Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado all remain completely drought-free. The continental U.S. improved a percentage point to 90% drought-free, and even better, no area of the U.S. experiencing extreme or exceptional drought. Weather factors affecting the markets include a cooler 6- to 10-day forecast for the Midwest crop weather and a favorable 90-day forecast for the finishing crops. That's why you are seeing some lower numbers right now. Heat and high humidity will persist through the weekend from the central and southern plains to the east coast. That will be followed by a surge of cooler, drier air. The cool air, air currently in the northernmost plains will overspread the plains and upper Midwest by Sunday and cover most areas east of the Rockies early next week. The cool air also accompanied by widespread rain and thunderstorms. That cooler and wetter pattern in the Midwest six to ten days from now will be favorable for the crops. The outlook for August, September, and October also keeping the crop weather favorable during this delayed crop season with a low probability of an early freeze. Mm. Oh, that's good news. So, yeah, uh, it's been very late with everything this year. Uh, last thing we needed it was an early freeze, oh. and it doesn't look like it looks like we're going to pretty much dodge that one. Well, I sure hope so. With everything else that's happened this year, you know, you wouldn't have been surprised. That would have been kind yeah, of the, exactly. the camp with the straw there. But, uh, again, we, we urge people that if you're working outside today and tomorrow, be careful. Yeah, keep yourself hydrated and take those breaks. Uh, get in the shade and a little breeze on you and... I uh, don't want to get yourself overworked because it can hit you real quick. Yeah, it can. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. Celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. I've just always had that that mentality that my generation is going to bring something else to the family farm. That something else is hops and grapes. Good afternoon. On today's Angler Journey, we'll be traveling with Kara Socek. She's a farm girl that always wanted to return to the operation, but she knew she needed to add her own twist. Today, she's the founder of 100 Hills Hops and Vines. We are a vineyard and hop yard. is based in Prague, Nebraska. One acre of vines and... Uh, about a quarter acre of hops right now. Sochet grew up on her family's diversified farming operation. So I grew up, uh, you know, on a farm. My dad and uncles, they all do row crops and cattle. Um, we, we've raised hogs a little bit in the past, too. Um, yeah, I, I always kind of felt like I could go into farming, but my strengths were more lying in the horticultural field. So I went to UNL for horticulture, um, didn't really know exactly, you know, it's such, it's a, such a broad 
industry that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to go into. But she happened to find that what through a job with a vineyard just 30 minutes away in Raymond, Nebraska. Luckily, I had the opportunity with uh, the vineyard and just kind of found out that I loved it and loved the lifestyle that goes along with running a vineyard. And uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, found the niche of diversified farming that I wanted to bring home to the family farm for this next generation. So when it was time for Socek to attend college, she was familiar with the angler program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, but it took her a few years before she took part. Once I graduated high school, I considered the angler program, um, kind of thinking I would go into it, but I wasn't really sure when. I didn't really join angler until halfway through, and even then I was kind of you know, uncertain if I was going to go the entrepreneurship route or not. Uh, and just, yeah, as I kind of went through college, the more I realized this is something that I I should do. Um, just kind of realized more and more that I wanted to run my own business and go into farming on my own. So it was a very gradual transition into the angler program. And even though it was a gradual transition, the important part is that Socek joined. And once she did, she was exposed to new thoughts and opportunities and developed the confidence and skills she needed to become a successful entrepreneur. It definitely helped me in the idea formation and, you know, hashing out the details. Kind of helped me get the hard skills of running a business. But the soft skills, I'd say that, that Angler really helped me with, with designing the business making a business plan and financially I had no experience like I didn't know what I was doing but they definitely prepared me for those sides of running a business that you know you definitely need and they're not necessarily industry specific. So Chick planted her first crop in May of 2017. That one acre that I planted in Prague this will be the first year we harvest off of that acre because it takes three years for them to produce a crop. So I'll say once we harvest that acre, that'll probably be my biggest success. This year, Socek is expanding her operation by renting 10 acres of land from the vineyard in Raymond. Her very first grape crop will go to wineries across the state, and her hops go to various home brewers. You can learn more about Kara Socek and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks for joining. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. We're also honoring our Nebraska Strong this summer, so follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts all summer long, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. This beauty has running boards and tinted windows. Being Nebraska Strong, we would like to encourage you to continue with relief efforts to our friends, neighbors, and family across the state by making donations through the Nebraska Cattlemen. Helping us bring the ram to your town is CHS, creating connections to empower agriculture. Suretop Angus and Charlay, Farnham, and Nutrien Ag Solutions. Head over to the Fun and Games page at krvn.com to find out when the ram will be in your area. Register and you could be bringing it home. Time for us to check in on sports. Brandon Bennett's in here, and uh, tough act to follow as you're coming in just as Scott Frost is just about getting done at the podium at the Big Ten Days. Hey, you know, 
Scott Frost has never opened one of my shows before, so I appreciate him being here and uh, him uh, being worthy of the time. But uh, he uh, looks a little bit uh, more settled now than he did when he first hit the podium. Uh, as he got there, he looked like he had just come off the plane, out of the taxi, into the room and hit the podium. He was a little late, but not too bad, considering the late start that got out of Lincoln. I don't imagine anybody gave him a tardy slip, so I, I, would I think he'll that. be okay. He yeah. did, but uh, typical Frost uh, presser, uh, nothing... Not giving a whole lot of information, just kind of this. that's the way it is, and now he's done. And just like that, all of a sudden you look up and there's a wobbly microphone, and that's it. So University of Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez, of course, joining Coach Frost. And he's one of the ten players included on the 2019 preseason honors list, released just this morning in advance of the mid, the Big Ten Media Days, football at least, for the particular sport we're talking about for the next couple of days. The panel of conference media members selected 10 players from five each from the East and the West Divisions, preseason nominations. Martinez, the only quarterback on that 10-player list. He's the first Husker signal caller to earn a nod on the Big Ten preseason list since Taylor Martinez, all the way back in 2013. Can you believe it's been 2013 no. that is amazing since Taylor was a quarterback? Wow. wow. And, of course, you know, I say Taylor like we're you know old friends or something. Martinez, of course, guides the prolific Husker attack and, and returns a record breaking for from a record breaking 2018 campaign. And in fact, Coach Frost was just talking about how very few seniors they have on the offense right now. So that's good for the future of the Husker offense for the next several years. The six two two hundred twenty five pounder set eleven school records and became the first two freshman quarterback to start an opener in school history. Martinez completed two hundred twenty four of three hundred and forty seven passes. For just over 2,600 yards, 17 touchdowns last season. Had a few too many on the interception side and the fumbles on the ground, but they can work on them. He also rushed for over 600 yards and eight touchdowns on his way to all-conference accolades. Last season, Martinez ranked 12th nationally and led all freshmen across the country. And total offensive output per game at almost 300 yards, a Nebraska record. He also set school freshman marks for completions, completion percentage, passing yards, passing touchdowns, total offense, and total touchdowns with 25, and ranked fourth nationally among all freshmen with almost 240 passing yards per game. And there are some seniors at Big Ten Media Football football media days as well. Khalil Davis, Muhammad Barry also representing the Cornhuskers. Next month, speaking of football, more than 50,000 former college athletes will begin collecting portions of the $208 million class action settlement paid by the NCAA. Part of the case, it was challenged by the association's cap on compensation. Hagen's Berman, the law firm representing the plaintiffs, who I'm sure will be taking their mighty share, says that 53,748 bowl subdivision football players and Division I men's and basketball, men's and women's basketball players who competed between 2010 and 2017 are able, are able and eligible to receive compensation. Now, we ended yesterday's sports by briefly mentioning the British Open. And how Roy Ma- R- Rory McIlroy was the odds-on favorite. Because it's his home course. He did not at all get off to a good start. Mm. In fact, rare is it to say that he could have gotten off to a worse start. A quadruple bogey eight. Snowman. On the very first hole. Might not have been the most embarrassing part of his round. Three putting from four feet away. For a double at the par 316th, also left him shaking his head. And, oh yeah, he hit somebody. He got the quadruple bogey aforementioned snowman on the first hole after his tee shot hit a woman out of bounds, broke the cell phone in her pocket. Official tournaments, uh, tournament officials rather say a 34-year-old woman from Northern Ireland was standing alongside the first fairway when she was hit by the air and shot. Now, the good news is, is... 
I would much rather have that ball hit my cell phone in my pocket. At least it breaks up the impact a little bit as opposed to the ball itself striking my leg. Might have saved your life. Rory was 12 strokes off the lead. His major drought almost certainly to continue to a six-year. Meanwhile, Tiger Woods got up and down on a greenside bunker to make par on his opening hole. Shane Lowry is in sole possession of the clubhouse lead at last check at about four under. Mm-hmm. So, Rory McIlroy, mm-hmm. not playing well at home. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. It's tough to come home. Uh, but hey, you know, I get a lot of eights on a golf course. Yeah. You know, people talk about double bogeys. I'm happy with a double. That's double. Double, double. Double, yeah. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Dawson County Schools, along with Elwood and Eustace Farnham, will have a new addition to their curriculum this coming fall. Dawson Area Development is creating a mobile unit called Makerspace that will rotate through each school. DAD Executive Director Andrea McClintock explains what Makerspace is about. So the type of equipment that's in here is everything that's going to be more educational. There's going to be some robotics pieces. Um, there's a piece called a Makey Makey. Uh, so very creative names. It reminds me of an old original Nintendo controller. Um, but you're able to hook that up to a computer and code stuff. These kids will be able to do everything. Those are really more the educational learning. We want the kids to learn uh, critical thinking, troubleshooting, getting used to working with their hands and equipment. Now there's going to be some other pieces that could be considered even more production type. Makerspace is not only for area schools, but also for the public. DAD plans to make the mobile unit available for the public in the summers while schools aren't using it. Tyson Foods is having a truck at the Dawson County Annex building today in Lexington to distribute their food product to area residents affected by flooding. Lupita Madrano, human resources manager in their Lexington Beef Complex, says it's part of the company outreach called Meals That Matter. When um, our corporate offices heard that our team members and the community was affected with the floods, they contacted myself and Dave Remick, who is the plant manager, and asked us about the severity of the flooding here in, in Dawson County and in Lexington. And we advised them that some of our team members were um, really uh, affected by it, and it's basically the community was affected by it. And so they asked us if we wanted to take advantage of their programs called Meals That Matter. And the Tyson truck will be part of the multi-agency resource center at the 200 block of West 7th Street for area flood victims today until 7 p.m. Madrano said their product distribution is something that the company wants to do and take care of its community. An Omaha suburb has raised its population to nearly 24,000 with its latest annexations. The Papillion City Council approved adding several subdivisions to the city, bringing in nearly 1,200 households and more than 3,200 people. The city valued the annexations at $345 million. The cities consider several factors when determining whether a community is ready for annexation, including debt the city will inherit and how much the extra city operations will cost. Papillion will hire two more police officers and two more public works employees for the annexations. The city expects to inherit $7.6 million in debt. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. <laughs> 
Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. The second day of the Dairy Experience Forum is going on today in St. Paul, Minnesota. One of the stated themes is a disruptive forum on today's consumer and dairy's opportunities. And as dairy farmers and processors heard yesterday, one of those opportunities is in the export markets. Tom Vilsack is the former Secretary of Agriculture, and he's also serving as President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Vilsack gives the update. Where do dairy exports sit for the year, and what sort of an impact is that having on the dairy industry? Well, the volume is down from a record level last year, in part because of African swine fever in China and the retaliatory tariffs. Uh, some of the activities in Venezuela and Mexico have caused some, some, some issues. But for the most part, volume is still in the top five in the history of our exports. So st- still have strong uh, volume. Value is up. That's the, that's the important message here. It's the value that drives the milk check. And so we're, we're pleased the fact that we're, we're seeing increases in value because we're seeing increases in cheese sales. Uh, we've, we were selling more cheese. In fact, I think uh, March was a record year in terms of cheese sales for a, for a month. So, so that's good. Uh, we want to obviously see that continue. Um, good market opportunities, and we're keeping our fingers crossed that at the end, by the end of the year we have a USMCA trade agreement that's ratified by Congress, and we hope that uh, the administration is able to do something with Japan that creates a level playing field there. That should help spur uh, growth and activity as well. Where is the interest in U.S. dairy products uh, around the world, and what seems to be getting their fancy right now? Uh, it would be easier to say where, where there is an interest. Uh, the reality is there's interest in virtually every part of the world. Uh, we sell a lot to, to, uh, to Mexico and Central and South America. Uh, we're going to see continued uh, growth opportunities in places like Chile and Peru. Uh, We sell uh, uh, an amazing amount uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, Just recently sold uh, some cheese in Saudi Arabia for the first time, some heritage cheese for the first time. Uh, So there's an opportunity there. Uh, We are obviously very heavily engaged and invested in in Asia. Uh, In North Asia, we're seeing a significant increase in opportunities in Japan and, and South Korea. Uh, obviously taking some of the uh, the sting out of uh, declining activity in China. Uh, Southeast Asia, terrific opportunities there as well. Uh, we're seeing growth uh, and record amounts of, of ingredients being sold uh, in, in those markets. So uh, we see opportunity everywhere. Uh, we obviously want to continue to expand. Uh, I think we'll... Um, you know, we'll look for opportunities to expand in Southeast Asia. We're, we're looking at the establishment of a center for dairy excellence. Just recently, the registration for that center was approved by the government in Singapore. So we're full speed ahead on, on that new initiative. U.S. has the National Dairy Farm Program tracking sustainability and, and environmental impact. Uh, you made comment that that seems to be uh, very useful and, and resonating with different uh, countries, different folks around the world. It gives us the opportunity to complement the message of the past, which was buy, buy U.S. because it's safe, buy U.S. because it's nutritious. Now we can say buy U.S. because it's sustainably produced. It's sustainably produced with a, a internationally certified standard for animal welfare. It's sustainably produced by the only the dairy farmers in the world that have actually seen, uh, with the exception of Canadians, who have actually seen greenhouse gas emissions reduced in terms of, of, of production. Uh, everyone else around the world has increased, uh, you know, methane and other emissions. We figured out a way to actually decrease it. Uh, made a commitment in 2009 as an industry to, com- to to reduce across the supply chain by 20%. We're going to, I think, meet that goal by the end of 2020. 
Uh, and now the dairy industry is focused on uh, as an industry, not as individual farms, but as an industry, uh, looking at ways in which we can create technologies and utilize technologies to get to net zero emissions, which would give us a very competitive advantage in a, in a marketplace where 95% of the world lives, the global marketplace. You made the comment uh, about these uh, new and innovative ways that you're promoting U.S. dairy around the world. You mentioned the Center for Dairy Excellence and this this Cheese Guild. Take those two and, and talk about them. How how that's sure. how you're using those. Uh, the Cheese Guild is really designed to educate younger chefs about ways in which they can incorporate U.S. cheeses in recipes. Because if you get the younger generation of chefs, then they will take that information, that knowledge, they will showcase it in their various recipes, they will take it around the world, and they will create new opportunities for U.S. cheese, uh, for the marketing of U.S. cheese. Uh, so it's, a, it's essentially a, a, an education and training program that carries with it a certification which allows that chef to basically say, I've been certified in the utilization of U.S. cheese. Uh, we just had a, a graduating class, uh, the first graduating class, I believe, in, in the Middle East and North Africa, 100, 101 attendees. We're going to do that in Mexico. We're going to do it in, in, in Southeast Asia. We're going to do it in Japan and Korea. So that we're going to have a broad array of chefs from all over the world uh, who understand and appreciate the variety, the functionality, the nutrition of cheese. The dairy center, center of Dairy Excellence is actually a physical location. It's, it's a, a permanent location where the U.S. dairy industry can showcase itself to Southeast Asia, where it can bring potential uh, would-be customers, our, our, our members can bring customers to the center. They can learn about the story of U.S. dairy, the nutrition, the safety, the sustainability story, and they can also use the test kitchen. They can use the sensory panels. Uh, it provides an opportunity for all of our staff in Southeast Asia to be co-located in one place, which will, I think, facilitate uh, communication and cooperation among our staff. We'll have better insights. We'll have more people working in those markets. So we'll have better insights and better opportunities to, to promote business development. That's the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack in St. Paul, Minnesota. As later today, we'll wrap up the Dairy Experience Forum. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Time for us to check on financials and not a good night in the overnight international markets. The Japanese Nikkei down a pretty amazing 414 points. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 130. London's FTSE down 42 and the German DAX index down almost a percent at 112.14. Here in the United States, not a lot better than Dow Jones Industrial Average down 104. The NASDAQ down 27 and the S&P only down about three. We turn it over to Bob Brogan for more. Well, stocks are lower in midday trading on Wall Street after Netflix reported a slump in new subscribers and dragged down communications companies. The streaming video service plunged after subscriber additions fell far below Wall Street forecast during the April-June period. The communications sector, which also includes Disney and Facebook, had the most severe drop. Meanwhile, the House has approved legislation to raise the federal minimum wage for the first time in a decade to $15 an hour, but hold the phone, or in this case, in this case, hold the House. Uh, the Senate uh, is not uh, going to be quite as friendly to that concept. Apparently, uh, Democrats mostly responsible for pushing through that minimum wage measure uh, in the House. Uh, but in this, in the Republican-dominated Senate, 
it probably isn't going to catch a lot of uh, air. United Health is raising its profit expectations for the year after earnings rose almost 13% in the second quarter. The largest U.S. health insurer reported a profit of $3.29 billion, or about $3.42 per share, $3.42 per share. When adjusted for one-time events, per share profit was about $3.60, which is $0.14 cents better than expected, according to a survey. Southwest Airlines, again pushing back the date it expects to be able to fly the grounded Boeing 737 MAX jet, meaning more flight cancellations. Southwest says it's taking the plane out of its schedule through November 2nd, a month longer than before. Without the plane, Southwest says it will drop about 180 flights a day from its schedule, up from 150. The plane was grounded after crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia. Ethiopia killed 346 people. Yeah, the first two new Toys R Us stores will open in November as part of a small comeback of the defunct iconic toy chain in the U.S. That's according to Richard Berry, a former Toys R Us executive who is now CEO of the new company, and they're calling it True Kids Brand. So so hopefully uh, that will uh, maybe catch fire. Who knows? I, I wonder if they're bringing Jeffrey the Giraffe back. Any word on that? I don't know. And, and Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if Mr. Potato <clears throat> Head is part of this uh, venture he, or sure. not. But He's, he's got to be. It's got to yeah. be. Gotta yes, be. I, and, and uh, of course, Mrs. Potato Head, yep. too. <clears throat> well, we have to, yeah, that'd be all part of the Me Too movement it, there. Absolutely. There, it has to be. <laughs> Phillips Morris, one of the uh, big gainers right now. They're up almost 10%. As Bob mentioned, Nas, or excuse me, Netflix not doing so well. They're down 11 locally. Uh, Union Pacific is up four. Rural infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us August 6th from 3 to 4 p.m. and 2 to 3 Mountain Time on 880 KRVN. We'll talk with experts from the national, state, and local level about the condition of the roads and bridges across Nebraska, not only in light of the recent floodings, but also into the future. Then we'll dive in and discuss rural broadband internet, the challenges faced by rural producers, and more. It's Rural Infrastructure, Roads, Bridges, and Broadband on the next Rural Radio Forum. Irrigation heads to the White House. I'm Shaley Peters with you now on the Rural Radio Network. And I get to visit today with John Tom. He is Vice President of TL Irrigation. And John, absolutely a very exciting experience for you guys. you just getting back from being in D.C. So I'm just going to have you tell us a little bit about why you were down there. What was TL Irrigation doing at the White House? Yeah, so we got invited about 10 days ago. Um, to be uh, at the Made in America product showcase in uh, Washington, D.C. And that was this Monday. Um, so we got ready. We got everything planned. We got a uh, pivot display actually built here at our uh, facility out of Hastings, Nebraska. And then we loaded it on a truck and headed out there um, the week before. We set up on Sunday, and then Monday was our show. And it is my understanding. I mean, you took an actual pivot to dc with you i mean it wasn't just something where you were talking about pivots you actually set up a pivot on the white house lawn yep that's correct we set it up just on the south lawn of the white house um just off the road we were actually just on the right side of where the podium where the president actually gave his remarks for the event so that was very exciting and a super big 
honor for us to be able to be right there in that position. And it certainly is quite the honor. John, maybe tell us a little bit more about the environment during the showcase uh, while you were in it um, and maybe why you were invited as well to represent not only Nebraska, but Nebraska agriculture, what that experience was like. Yeah, it was just a very proud moment. Um, we got to meet the president of the United States. And at the same time, I think we mainly were invited because as our state being the highest irrigated state in the union, with 8.5 million irrigated acres, um, it was it was just a great honor for that. And then, of course, I'm sure among you there were several people who maybe had not been uh, exposed to, to agriculture, certainly on the level that you and uh, some of your coworkers are. And so, what sort of questions did you have while you were down there? What sort of feedback did you give them as you showcase something that is a very critical to agriculture here in our state? See, a lot of people ask kind of what our what our product was made for. So not a lot were um, used to that type of irrigation system. But once we kind of explained it, most people had a good understanding. Um, we really emphasized how important it was to conserve water in the Midwest and where we sell these machines, which was a huge um, impact for those that we, we talked to. And for you on a personal level, John, what was this experience like? What does it mean to you? Yeah, um, a big big thing was just being invited at that level was um, something really special for my company. We've been in business for 65 years this year. Um, we're on our third generation of family-owned company, and it was just something that we would have never thought would happen to be able to build one of our products actually on the White House facility and meet the president at the same time, too. So just a really amazing experience all around. You did mention the company you were in. Who was with you? Who took the trip down to D.C. with you? So with me was also uh, Vice President Chase Crawford. And we had uh, one of our drivers, Craig Oswald, actually deliver the system. And he had probably the hardest job going through Washington, D.C. And that traffic would have been pretty big nightmare. <laughs> I'm sure it was. John Tome, our guest today, he is Vice President TL Irrigation, just got back from Washington, D.C., where they were highlighting Nebraska agriculture, Nebraska irrigation, with their pivot on the White House lawn. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Rural infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us August 6th from 3 to 4 p.m. and 2 to 3 Mountain Time on 880 KRBN. We'll talk with experts from the national, state, and local level about the condition of the roads and bridges across Nebraska, not only in light of the recent floodings, but also into the future. Then we'll dive in and discuss rural broadband internet, the challenges faced by rural producers, and more. It's rural infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband on the next Rural Radio Forum. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Corn market lower today, double-digit losses in Chicago wheat as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. All right, your thoughts on this market, the way that uh, wheat kind of led the way again, didn't it? Yeah, wheat's falling apart here. and This is harvest starting out east. You know, we've been very slow to, to cut the crop east of the Mississippi River, and, and we're starting now with the weather turning drier. Um, and then the KC wheat, of course, is wrapping up harvest uh, as it moves moves across the north. Um, and that, in my opinion, you have a feed grain story, a supply, feed grain supply story uh, that's developed from the, the good good substantial harvest we had in uh, 
in the KC wheat crop, and we're looking at good conditions in Minneapolis. So we're not going to be short for feed wheat uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, high pros is going to be available as well. Um, but I, I think, as you most guys know, you know, we tend to make a harvest low at some point, about 50 60% uh, as the crop gets harvested nationwide, and I think we're about there. So I certainly wouldn't chase this lower. I, I look at the low 430s for, for KC wheat is a very good level to buy, especially right now. You know, in a month from now, maybe we do fall another 15, 20 cents, but uh, that's really what's driving corn, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, the weather this way is, I guess, improving, if you want to call it that. Um, we got substantial rain last night, um, but in my opinion, that's that's all priced in now, um, and it was probably priced in yesterday, but today's margin call pressure, and folks who liked it on Friday don't like it anymore and are getting out, and you know, if you've been waiting to buy, this is your opportunity. Uh, I don't look at this market like I do uh, a kind of collapsing type of market we've seen in the last couple of years. I wouldn't be shocked to see it push down to 420. But, uh, again, I think the the August wild year report is going to bring a lot of fun pressure to the upside, uh, especially if we're coming from, like, 415. So short term here, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe a ten, another 10 cents down. But I certainly wouldn't be selling that low, uh, looking to buy breaks, uh, and then sell them if we get back up to 450. What about soybeans? They seem to have spared the selling today. Well, we got China trade talks going on, so wherever your belief in that, uh, uh, you have some, I guess, help there. Uh, they did show up shipping out uh, about oh, 500,000 metric tons of old crop beans last week, so that's a good sign. Uh, you know, I, from what we're hearing, we should be starting to hear some U.S. ag purchases, at least what the administration is saying. Um, and I think you know the fact that crude oil was down a buck fifty today, corn was down close to ten cents, wheat down close to twelve, and to see beans with a green number, you got to feel pretty good here. I would not be long for the market though. You get up around nine twenty-five, I think you start to move aside. Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Soybeans did settle a little lower today, down one and a quarter to one and a half cents, and as he mentioned, ten to eleven lower in corn, twelve lower Chicago wheat. That will do it for our midday program here today. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.